happy New Year, if I haven't already said that. Um, I hope it is, anyway. Uh, I was actually preaching at Munion last Sunday, and uh, the lady who was leading the prayers said that last year wasn't a happy year. And, uh, and I, I thought I'll start off by saying Happy New Year. And uh, anyway, it's, it's actually a wish, isn't it? Uh, because if we had a choice, it would be better that it was a happy year than whatever the alternative is. Isn't that right? Yeah, so I hope your year is a happy one. But if it's not, he will hold you through the night. Yeah, which is a good song to sing before we read Psalm 6, actually. Um, the Psalms, there's 150 of them. Very often you'll meet Christians who say that the Psalms are their favourite part of the Bible, which is very interesting because there's lots of Psalms that are quite ugly. I wonder if they're the, the Psalms that people find their most favourite. I don't know. But uh, there's, there's lots of Psalms that, uh, that, that deal with our joys, but there's many that admit that life is full of sorrow. And there's many that uh, go to some difficult places about those that oppose us those that make our life miserable and so psalm 6 is a psalm where david says that his his current experience of life is leading him crying throughout the night the great king david the slayer of giants uh, is so distressed by what's going on that he floods his couch with tears i wonder if you can identify with that Uh, very often we keep these things to ourselves But the Bible is the world's most honest book. Uh, There's no more honest book than the Bible. And it exposes ourselves to us if we read it honestly. But it also says that it's okay to weep. Because there there will be things that make you. And it's not a sign of weakness. And so we'll find that even the Lord Jesus weeps as his great ancestor King David did. Anyway, let's pray, and then we'll consider God's word together. Uh, Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is with us. We thank you are a God who can be known, and you've made yourself known by your prophets, uh, through your word, and chiefly through your Son. And so we know that you love us because you sent the Lord Jesus to die for us. And, um, and, and you've demonstrated your love by sending him to the cross so that our sins could be paid for. So we pray that you would help us today to listen carefully to your word and to, to the things that you want to uh, teach us, perhaps for the first time or reassure us of, for the things that you need to correct in our lives and for the things that will cause us to celebrate your goodness. So please help us as we uh, attend to your word carefully today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Just one thing, Lena texted me yesterday and asked could I bring some of these down. If you weren't here at the beginning of last year, I promoted the idea of reading the whole Bible in a year. I gave a lot of these away. I don't know how many people saw it through. Um, Because it's best to be honest, I'll have to confess, I I failed myself to read the whole Bible, but I did make it through the whole Old Testament. Right. So um, I did say last year it's not a race. It's not a competition and if you find you can't keep up with the pace, don't worry because the object is just to be trying to read carefully and and regularly. If you'd like one of those, even though we're a week into the new year, um, then then please see me because I'd love to give them away. Uh, When I promoted it last year, I talked about how I'd promoted this when I was at Pakenham Baptist and uh, there was... and one of the things that fired me up again was because I got a text from a man from Pakenham Baptist who said... When I, when I first introduced it there, he says, I've never read the Bible all through. I've been a Christian for 40 years, and he said, I've never read the Bible all through. 
And, and so he said, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. Well, it took him two years, but he did it. Well, he texted me last year towards the end of the year and he said, I've just finished it for the second time. And then he texted me just before Christmas and said, I've just finished it for the third time. It becomes a habit after a while. And he's now on his fourth read-through, right? Um, it's just... so. Come and see me if you'd like to get in the habit that Alex has found so helpful. Anyway, um, I want to think a bit about the Psalms before we get into Psalm 6 in particular. And I'd like to jump around a couple of passages that have helped me, right? Now, I've read the Psalms for years and in getting ready to to teach the Psalms last year at MAFRA, I read a very helpful book by a man called Christopher Ashe that challenged the way I think about Psalms and helped me to understand them better. And I'm still grappling with it. But I want to pass on. I did talk a bit about this last year, but I've had to go back and refresh my thinking, and so it might help you too, I hope. Right. The question is, how do we, in 21st century Australia, sing ancient Hebrew songs? Because that's what they are. These were meant to be sung. Now, we've lost the tunes. We've still got the words, but we read them in English. But how do we incorporate these words, which we can use as prayers, because they're God's words, which we can speak back to God, how can we use them? How can we sing other people's songs? Now, if you know me at all, you'll know that I've been interested in music for a long time. And uh, there was a night when I was in year 11, I think it was, uh, there was a youth group gathering at our house. Uh, the church that I was going to the, all the youth group was there and there were two guitars now I had a friend who was a very good guitarist and I had just started playing and I knew how to sing a couple of songs and so I was sitting down with my friend Mike and we started playing and I sang the two or three songs that I knew and could play along on a guitar and a little crowd formed and I thought wow and people sat and listened and then they clapped and so I blamed them uh, <laughs> Because I decided, gee, this is pretty good. Um, I don't think I'm a very good singer, but but I do know some songs. I I tell people I only sing because I know the words. But after a while, I got really interested in, and I made friends who were good musicians, and I wanted to play with them, and it turns out we played in public. So the question is, what are we going to sing? And I wasn't writing songs at that stage, so I had to think about the kinds of songs that I wanted to sing. And the music I was listening to at home was mainly African-American blues music. But then I thought to myself, I'm a Christian. I can't really sing songs about whiskey and women. <laughs> Particularly the way they sang them, right? I thought, that's just not me. I formed a, a group with a bunch of fellas and, and one of the guys in it decided that he and I should form a duo to, to do gigs on the side when the band couldn't make it or just smaller things. And he wanted to do a lot of this old blues stuff. And so when he told me the sorts of stuff that he wanted to do, I said, I can't identify with that. That's not my experience. But then I heard people singing country songs and I thought, why would you sing Sweet Home Alabama when you live in Druin? (laughs) But people do. So it mattered to me that the songs that I sang were songs that I could identify with. Now, does that ring a bell when it comes to the Psalms? There'll be things in the Psalms that you go, yeah, I I know what you're talking about. But there'll be other places you think, hmm, how's that going to help me? Well, here's a little perspective. 
The first thing we need to realise is that David wrote a good deal of the Psalms. The first couple of books of Psalms, there's five books, and the first couple of books David wrote most of them. He wrote all of the Psalms in book one. But the whole collection is very often called the Psalms of David because David seemed to have a role in compiling the whole collection. In Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter quotes from one of David's Psalms, Psalm 16, and he says of David that David is a prophet. So he's not just a songwriter and he's not just a king. He's a person who speaks authoritatively on behalf of God because that's what a prophet does. We got that? So David's a prophet. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn your Bible into the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 1. David is a prophet. Let's bear that in mind. Now 1 Peter, Peter being an instructed apostle of the Lord Jesus, knows what he's talking about because he's speaking with the authority of his master. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 12, Peter's describing uh, what it means to be a believer, the sorts of things that we believe and how we relate to the scriptures. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 10, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was, to, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels longed to look. So David was a prophet. And according to Peter, David prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. In other words, the readers of his letter. And David inquired carefully about what? About the things that the Spirit of Christ told him. So who gave David the information, the ideas that informed his Psalms? Where did it come from? The Spirit of Christ. Now the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit because God the Father and God the Son cooperate in sending the Spirit to those who believe. Peter nominates the spirit of Christ as being the agent by which David's holy words, his prophetic words, were authored. David was a prophet who wrote in the inspiration of the spirit of Christ. Now that's very interesting because David was an ancestor of the human Jesus, wasn't he? So the plot thickens. Read Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. So go back a little bit in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews and we go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Now Jesus was truly God and truly human. He wasn't more God than human. He wasn't more human than God. He wasn't half God and half human. He was 100% God and 100% human. Uh, that's who Jesus is have a look at Hebrews 5 verse 7 in the days of his flesh in other words when he was here on earth as a human in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence Jesus as a human prayed to God the Father got that? So Jesus, who had always been God, 
There's never been a time when God the Son did not exist. God has always existed as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has always existed. And yet when God the Son took on a body and lived on earth, he prayed. Now why would he do that? Because as the Son of God in heaven, he'd always talk to his Father. Because the, the, the Trinity is a relationship. It's a relationship of love. It's a relationship of communication. And so he continued that relationship while he was on earth and he set us an example. We need to talk to our father because that's what you do when you love someone. That's what you do when you depend on someone. Jesus was depending on his father. Now, what sort of things do you think Jesus was offering up by way of prayers and supplications? No doubt he was praying the words of the Psalms. Because the Psalms were the hymn book of the ancient Israelites. So Jesus, as a human, was praying back to God words that he, by his spirit, had inspired the psalm writers to write. Does that make sense? Do you understand it? Please shake your heads. <laughs> it's too deep for me. I'm still wrestling with it and I hope I'm not confusing you. But I'm just trying to tell you some of the things that I've been thinking about this week while I've been getting this ready that have helped me understand Psalm 6, I think, a little bit better than I did before and which I'm hoping is going to help you understand Psalm 6 a bit better. Jesus, as a human, prayed the words that by his spirit he'd inspired his human ancestor David to write. And as a human, he didn't come as the baby in Bethlehem with the whole of the scriptures downloaded into his head like a computer chip jesus was a genuine human who had to learn the scriptures just like you and i do god did not download the whole lot he had to learn it so we find in hebrews that he learned obedience how about that so jesus is the perfect human and in his humanity he used the psalms to pray now we know that because very often the psalms are on his lips when we read the gospel stories we find jesus praying the psalms so go back to luke chapter 24 matthew mark luke third book in from the front of the new testament luke chapter 24 this is after jesus has been raised from the dead and helping his disciples to understand why it was necessary that he be crucified in the first place because they didn't get it and helping to, to understand uh, the nature of his resurrection life and their role now that he's going back to heaven. So Luke 24, verse, starting at verse 44. So he's with the disciples and he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Right, so he said, if you'd been paying attention, you would have seen that the things that have just happened were prophesied, they were forecast, they were prefigured in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. In other words, every part of what we now call the Old Testament because they were the three main divisions of, of the Jewish scriptures. The law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus says... I'm in there. And then what did he do? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So in other words, if we understand the scriptures properly, 
we'll understand that the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms speak about who? Jesus. Not every sentence, but the overall tapestry of all of those 39 books points to someone who can only be the Lord Jesus. And so as we read the Psalms, we need to read them expectantly without asking that God will open our minds so that we can understand that these things are actually about Jesus. These are Jesus' prayers. These are Jesus' songs. How do we sing and pray the Psalms? In Christ. Because he is our saviour. He is our king. He spoke these words. He prayed them on our behalf. So when we pray them, we join our prayers with Jesus. Now, I want to speak a bit more about that in a moment, but listen to this. This is what Christopher Ashe says in his book. The Psalms are supremely the songs of Jesus. The collection is the vicarious prayer of Christ for his congregation. If the Gospels give us Christ's deeds and words, the Psalms open a window into into his heart. And as we see into his heart, we are given a glimpse of the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. So that's like, I'd like to suggest that as we read the Psalms, we read these believing them to be the prayers of Jesus. These are the things that Jesus by his spirit inspired the human authors to write. These are the things that as a human he learnt to pray and to sing and these are prayers that he prays for his people then and now. Let's go on. So turn to Psalm 6 and if by the way you've forgotten all of that, and would like to see it again talk to me and I'll email you that that sheet with the the verses on it and that quote Um, and anything else you find helpful I'm always happy to send it on but let's read Psalm 6 it's always good to pay attention to the little headings because they they help us to understand the context of, of many of the Psalms and so this one the heading is to the choir master which shows that it was a song to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Now, you know, I said I played with that bloke who wanted to form a blues duo. And I said, well, I I just don't identify with those songs. I, I, I can't sing them. And he said, oh... He told me about the church he went to where the pastor said that the Psalms had a lot of blues in it. And I thought, well, that pastor doesn't understand the Psalms or the blues. Because Mahalia Jackson, the great gospel singer, 
was asked why she wouldn't sing blues because she, she could have made a lot more money singing blues than she did singing gospel and she said the blues is the cry of a man in a deep pit she said Jesus has lifted me out of that pit so she can't sing those agonizing songs this is not a blues song it's a sad song But it's not the cry of a man in a pit. This is a cry of a man in deep trouble with a great hope. And that's why it's not blues. But it's a deep song and it's a song which encourages us to look at our own circumstances and ask, does this help as we understand them? So let's look at it. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, discipline nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious, O Lord. So what's the situation that's caused David, inspired by the Spirit of Christ, to write these words? Well, clearly he's troubled. Have a look at there. My soul is greatly troubled in verse 3. He says, I'm languishing in verse 2. He says, my bones are troubled. So he's troubled, body and soul. When he says, I'm troubled in my bones, that's a description of his body. But he's also troubled in his soul. He's troubled through and through. Now that word troubled, you could translate it trembling. He's terrified. Whatever it is, is really causing him grief. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been so troubled that it has a physical effect on you? Because this is what it's doing to to David. The great warrior is so troubled that it's stirring him up on the inside now who knows what the situation was it could have been it could have been some particular sin that he's committed because he says rebuke me not in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath so it may be that David's trouble has been brought on by some sin he's committed it may be but if you look towards the end of the psalm you'll see that he's dealing with foes with workers of evil and with enemies. So at least a part of his trouble is other people. Have you ever found other people difficult? (laughs) Now these people were so difficult that David feels that his life is at risk. So that's how serious his trouble was. He's in anguish. So let's think about this. Is all trouble the result of sin the answer is no well kind of no all trouble is caused by sin because we live in an imperfect world but it may not be our sin that's causing us trouble sometimes just by virtue of being alive and knowing other people trouble comes to us because we live in an imperfect world And the trouble that's caused for us by other people, even if we haven't brought it on ourselves, can cause us real grief of the kind that David describes here. Now, the subject of of suffering and its connection to sin is one that the Bible does hold open. So we're going to have communion later on. And in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul says that because some of the people are sharing in the Lord's Supper in an irreverent way, in an unworthy way, it's having a physical effect on them and, and they're suffering because of their unworthiness but they're continuing to participate. But then in John chapter 9, the disciples see a blind man and they say to Jesus, whose sin was it that caused this man to be born blind? Because the disciples thought, well, he's, he's suffering, therefore it must be God's punishment. Jesus says it wasn't his sin and it wasn't his parents' sin. It's so that 
the work of God might be glorified. So not all suffering is linked to sin. And if you're suffering and some helpful person comes along and identifies the sin in your life that caused it, feel free to disregard them and then ring me. <laughs> my, my grandmother lost two children, both age six. My father's older brother and then the, the brother next, uh, after dad. Both died age six. Uh, so my grandmother had to deal with the grief of two children who were perfectly healthy, got ill and died. And, uh, and some helpful woman at church came and diagnosed the sin in grandma's life that had caused Jeffrey to die. That is not Christian charity. I have a, a belief that if there is some sin in your life that God is disciplining you with or for, he will reveal it to you. And that's why elders and pastors are in the church to sometimes just help us to sort naughty things out. But please don't feel it's part of your brief to go around telling people the sin in their life that, you know, it's the sort of thing that needs to be handled with great tenderness um, and, and in, in a non-judgmental kind of a way. But anyway, David is languishing, he's troubled body and soul and he asks the question, how long? In other words, how long is this going to go on for? You, O Lord, he says, how long? Now, that's a natural human question. It's a question that turns up over and over again in the Bible. And it's only answered once in the Bible. Did you know that? So later this year, we're going to go back to our studies in the book of Revelation and you'll find the answer in Revelation 6. The answer to the question, how long, O Lord, the only time it's answered in the Bible, Revelation 6, verse 11, how long, O Lord? A little longer. a little longer so we have to leave the timing with God now do we know God like David did do we know God as a caring compassionate friend because when you look at this psalm you'll realize that David understands God very well because he knows him and so if our suffering is going on and we're wondering how long then we need to just keep facing up and trusting that God our sovereign eternal heavenly father knows better than we do the timing that he's applying so hebrews chapter 6 talks about a definition of faith he says it's by faith and patience that will inherit god's promises so keep trusting in god and keep waiting on god peter read before from micah chapter 7 and so micah says in the midst of all of the trouble in jerusalem that was going to lead them to being taken hostage and and, and captive into babylon in the midst of all of that trouble Micah says, as for me, I will wait for the Lord. I will look to God because he'll hear my prayer. He's echoing the words of David. So David says, how long? And the answer is, who knows? And so he makes an appeal in verses 4 to 7. He says, turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you in Sheol who will give you praise. So in verse 7 we realise that David's foes, his enemies, are the source of his grief. But now he makes an appeal. And his appeal is based on two things. And the first of those is in verse 4. And this is a sign that he knows Yahweh. And he knows the word of God. He appeals to God on the basis of his steadfast love. Now we've talked about this before because steadfast love is a very important phrase it's actually one word in the hebrew scriptures and we saw it in the book of ruth in the book of ruth the same word is translated kindness now i spoke about this a bit but it's so good we're going to talk about it again 
The word, the Hebrew word is hesed. And it's a word which is so rich in meaning that you can't sum it up in one English word. And so if you look at a variety of different English translations, you'll see that some of them talk about uh, steadfast love. They'll call it covenant love or, or loyalty or kindness or compassion or forgiveness. And they're all caught up in that word. So when David cries to God, he cries to him because he knows he's a God whose love will not quit. George Matheson wrote a beautiful hymn called I Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Right? That's the love that David's depending on, the love that will not let him go. It's a love which has at its heart mercy and forgiveness and compassion even to people that don't deserve it. So this is the love that God gives freely that you can't coerce, you can't force, you can't buy it, you can't arm wrestle, love me God, love me, you don't have to. Because if God has set his love on you, he will not quit on you. And so David says, on account of your steadfast love, he says, be merciful to me. But then he goes on, and this is a bit of an intriguing one, in verse 5, he says, if I'm to become a victim of my enemies, or if I'm to become a victim of these circumstances and just die, what good will that be to you, God? That's what he's saying in verse 5. He says, there's no remembrance of you in death. In Sheol, which is the realm of the dead, I won't be able to praise you. Now, that's very interesting. David's saying to God, look, if, if I go, it'll be one less praiser. So what does that mean about how David sees his life? David sees the chief object of his life as being to praise Yahweh, to praise God. How's that? Is that a good New Year's resolution? This year I'm going to make it the chief object of my life to praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. That's what David's saying. He says, if I die, it'll be one less to praise you and you deserve to be praised because you're a God of steadfast love. Now, do you know God that way? Because that's, that's what David is pinning his hopes on. That's the basis of his prayer. But then he goes on and he admits that he's, he's in great grief uh, and he's, got, he, he's not sleeping. And on those sleepless nights, he's, he's weeping. Have you ever had those nights? If you're an honest human being, I suspect you have. I've had many sleepless nights. Um, all sorts of things now where do my thoughts go when I'm not sleeping they don't always go to the right place so this this psalm's a corrective to me but David says that you know please help because it really is hurting it's not wrong to ask the question how long but we just do need to remember that the answer might be a little longer when we're tested it proves to us the extent of our faith. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, these things happened that we might learn to rely not on ourselves, but on God. Do we need to rely on God? How often? A couple of times a day? There's another old hymn that says, I need thee every hour. Right? We need to rely on God. If it was always holidays, if the sun was always shining and there wasn't a problem, would we think we had to rely on God? 
Probably not. We can get lulled into a false sense of security. We can become complacent. So when God sends challenges and trials and tests to us, it's yet another opportunity to say, thank you, God, I'm going to trust you through this no matter how long it takes. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Anyway, uh, in verses 8 to 10, David finishes his psalm with a word of assurance. So he's come to God, the God he trusts, and now he says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea, the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame. It's almost as though he was, when he was asking how long, he's, he's saying, how long is it, O Lord, until my enemies get what I'm getting now? Because they're giving him grief that is causing him real trouble. And now he's saying they're going to be troubled. And it will be Yahweh who does it to them. So he calls them workers of evil. These are enemies and he commands them. To, to depart from him he's confident that Yahweh will turn to him just as he asked back in verse 4 and so the confidence that he has is that God has heard him weeping and he's heard him praying and it's as though the weeping is a kind of prayer have you ever thought about that that if you're so overcome with grief that you don't know how to pray that even your tears count before God have you ever thought about that You see, the thing is, sometimes we underestimate just how lovely God is. God is a God of steadfast love. That's love that won't quit. God loves to hear the prayers of his people. And if you don't know how to put words together, tell God that too. I've been in that situation. I remember one night I was desperate in prayer for Sal when, when, when she was still alive and she was on the verge of death. And I said to God, I don't know how to pray. I said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's what I said. And do you think, God, God hears and he cares. So Psalm 56 verse 8, go across to this and if you've got a pen, underline it. Psalm 56 verse 8. This is one you need to remember. Psalm 56 verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God counts every tear. And they count as prayer. From the repentant, from the, from the genuine, from the sincere. He's not fooled by crocodile tears. But from the repentant, from the genuine, from the sincere believer who is trusting God despite everything, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Now Romans chapter 8 Uh, says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too too deep for words. If you don't know how to pray and you're just in tears God counts that as a prayer. But this raises a big challenge. How does God hear the prayer of a sinner? Now think about this, Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So God doesn't listen to the prayer of sinners. Isaiah 59 verse 2, Isaiah tells 
the unrepentant people of Jerusalem, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin will make a separation. Sin will make it difficult to pray. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks to husbands and he says, love your wives. He says, live with them gently. He says, let nothing hinder your prayers. If you've got a bad attitude in marriage, husband and wife, that will hinder your prayers, which is not good. Because we don't want anything to hinder our prayers. Because we need to pray. So how does God hear the prayer of a sinner? David said, I've been heard. He was confident that he'd been heard. Well, God hears the prayers of sinners when sinners come to him in the means, using the means by which God has appointed to approach him. You can't just bowl up into God's presence. He's not just anybody. David used the means that were his by way of the old covenant to deal with his sin and to make himself fit for God's presence. But we have an advantage that David could only dream about. David is confident in God and his covenant because the covenant provided mechanisms enabling him to come to God in humility and repentance. But Jesus is the one who this prayer chiefly belongs to. So David as a prophet was using... that The spirit of Christ was speaking through David to write words that Jesus as a human had to learn for himself. And they became... His words in prayer, which become our words because we're in Christ. So that might make you wonder, how can Jesus pray these words because he's sinless? He had no sins to to repent of or to be forgiven. Well, in John chapter 12, Jesus takes some of the words from this passage and he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. So when Jesus knew he was going to the cross, he took Psalm 6 on his lips. He says, now is my soul troubled. His soul was trembling because he knew he had to go to Roman crucifixion. We know that Jesus wept. Why did he weep at Lazarus' grave? We're not actually told, but I think we can guess. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that. So why did he weep? He wept because Lazarus and the rest of us are prone to sin, which leads to death. And Jesus, as our king and our commander and as our saviour, but as a human, identified so completely with what it means to be human that his tears were for the human condition. And so when these words are on Jesus' lips, he's praying them on behalf of his human people, us. He's confessing our sins. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he was made to be sin who knew no sin, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus had no sin of his own, We had no righteousness of our own. Jesus became sin for us so that we could become righteous for God. So these are Jesus' words prayed on our behalf. And because he identifies with us, he makes his sin, he makes our sin his own. 
So how can our prayers be heard? Well, in Christ, we come in his name to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in our time of need. Jesus says over and over again in the Gospel of John, pray in my name. What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? It means to pray with his authority. Uh, Jenny and I visited Hampton Court Palace in London some years ago and we were told when we got in there that in this room here we could have a banquet every night if you wanted. He said, so long as you were well dressed, anybody could come. Anybody could just roll up and eat dinner in the palace, apparently. That's what we were told. But then further and further you go through and at every door there's two guards until you get to the king's chamber. Now not just anybody could get into the king's chamber because the two people at the door, the armed guards, would say, what are you doing here? What business have you with the king? Now think about that when we talk, think about going to the throne of grace. What business have we going to the throne of grace? Well, we have someone who says, he's with me, she's with me. It's Jesus. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying, I am in Christ. That's who I am. That's my fun, fundamental identity now. Because Jesus has made my sin his and his righteousness mine. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, God looks on us and sees him. When we pray in Jesus' name, we come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help with the authority of one who says, he's with me, she's with me. And it grants us access to the very presence of God. Christopher Ash sums up his summary of this uh, little psalm. He says, because our king's prayers are heard, so our prayers will be heard in his name. How good's that? Jesus, by his spirit, inspired his ancestor David to write these words that became true when they were prayed on his lips. They weren't completely true in David's experience, but they're completely true for Jesus. We can pray them because we are in Christ who takes us to the very throne. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, our Heavenly Father, please help us to wrestle with these things and grapple with them, uh, trusting you, uh, our God, who's full of steadfast love and, and, and mercy. We thank you that in your mercy you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but uh, for the sake of, of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, uh, you hear our prayers because we are in him. So please help us to be humble. Help us to be swift to repent when we know we've offended you or stepped out of your way. Uh, we thank you that Christ became sin for us so that we could inherit his righteousness when we believe. Please help us to take these things to heart and to live in the light of them uh, so that we might live lives that are worthy of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.